Let's get into Exodus chapter 4. Are you guys there? Exodus chapter 4, going through the whole book of Exodus. We're only in chapter 4. This is going to take us a little bit of time, but we will get there. Exodus chapter 4. We're going to go through the whole chapter today, but I want to look at just, I want to start by reading just verses 10 to 13, and then we'll pray, and we'll get into it together. Exodus chapter 4. But Moses said to the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. Then the Lord said to him, Who made man's mouth? Who made him mute or deaf or seen or blind? Is it not I the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be your mouth, and I will teach you what to speak. But he said, Oh Lord, please send someone else. Father, we thank you that you love us enough to persistently and patiently call us to yourself. You call us to yourself. You you call us to a real relationship. You call us to a, a, a purpose and a meaning that has eternal consequences. Thank you, Lord, that you do this. And we pray, Lord, as we look at how, we continue to look at how you've called Moses, that we would be able to look forward and see Jesus in this, and we'd be able to look even in our own lives and see how you're calling us. And above all that, Lord, we pray that you would give us the grace to respond. We want to respond to the calling you have on our lives. Please, Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Everyone who agrees says... I have to say, I do not get party crashers. You know these people, these kind of people that just find out where the party is and go even though they weren't invited? Or wedding crashers? That's even worse. I just don't get it. I don't like being in places where I'm not wanted. Don't make any comments. (laughs) I mean, I I think if I'm going to be someplace, I want to be wanted to be in that place. I want to be invited to be in that place. When we think about calling, we tend to think about what vocation am I going to have? What am I going to do with my life? As Jesus followers, we hopefully think, how am I going to use the gifts and talents that God's given me to further his kingdom, to make him known? We think of calling in that way, but we forget that the first calling God makes on us is to come and to know him and to trust him. And so we're really kind of carrying on in chapter 4, especially the first part of chapter 4, with what we started seeing last week in chapter 3, where God reveals himself to Moses. If you remember so far, Moses knew that God had called him to be the deliverer of his people, Israel. Israel's in Egypt as slaves. They've multiplied greatly. God's increased them as he promised he would do. But they find themselves in this oppression, this slavery. And Moses begins to see this when he's about 40 years old. And he thinks, I'm going to fix this. And he tries to fix it, and he fails miserably. So bad that he knows that Pharaoh wants to kill him, and so he has to split. He's got to go flee into Midian. And as he's in Midian, he is blessed with a wife and and children, and he's looking after his father-in-law's sheep. And you guys remember the story from last week, right? As he's doing the everyday, what happens? God says, I want to show myself to you. And he does so through a burning bush. And we're actually still in that burning bush conversation in this first part of chapter 4. We're in this place where where God is continuing to make himself known. We talked last week, we really kind of focused last week a bit more on the God who is. 
The fact that God shows himself when, when Moses asks for his name, God says, I am who I am. But now we're going to talk about the God who calls. Because when God's calling Moses into this ministry, into this work that he's going to use him to deliver his people, he's also calling him into a relationship. Moses, you know about me, but I want you to know me. And how God calls Moses, how God calls us, says something about the God that we're meant to know. So we're going to see three things today about how God calls Moses. And I hope these things resonate in our own hearts. I hope as we look at these things, we go, yes, Lord, thank you. You've called me in a similar way. So starting in verse 1 through verse 17, we're going to see now God's what I'm going to call proactive patience with Moses. It says, and then Moses answered, and I should probably kind of uh, give us a, a, a little feedback of this. If you remember, um, God's telling Moses, here's what's going to happen. You're going to go do these things. You're going to plunder the Egyptians. You're going to deliver my people. And so Moses is objecting again. He says, then Moses answered, but behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice. For they will say, the Lord did not appear to you. And the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? And he said, a staff. And the Lord said, throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground, and it became a serpent. And Moses ran from it. But the Lord said to Moses, put out your hand and catch it by the tail. So that he put out his hand, and he caught it, and it became a staff in his hand. That you may believe the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. We want them to believe this. So, so here's Moses doing another objection, saying, Lord, the Israelites are not going to believe that you actually sent me. And God actually said specifically, they will believe you. But I love the fact that even though Moses is going, I know you say they're going to believe me, but <laughs> they're not, Lord, they're not. I love the fact that God patiently says, it's okay, I'm going to send you with some signs. You're going to be able to do some signs. This is the first of three of them. And what we're going to see about these signs, that these signs, though, though God says these signs are to prove to them that I've sent you, you get a, a sense that God's trying to prove to Moses that he's actually sending them. That God wants to confirm to Moses, Moses, I am actually sending you. But what's also interesting is, is how God's doing this. He's not just confirming to Moses, and he won't just be confirming to Israelites that, that he has the supernatural power that's needed to deliver them out of slavery, but also that that the signs themselves kind of demonstrate how God's going to do that, how he's going to deliver them. So with this first sign and saying, okay, I want you to take your, your, your staff, and this is going to be more important. The staff of Moses is going to be more important as we carry on. But I want you to take that staff, throw it down. It, it turns into a serpent. Now, isn't that strange? Because when we think of servant, uh, serpent, what do we think? We think of the devil. This is our first thing that goes in our mind because the devil appears as a serpent in the garden. He's identified as a serpent or a dragon in the book of Revelation. But actually, a serpent was also the, the, the symbol of Pharaoh because a serpent was a symbol of the one who has ultimate power to heal or to make things right. And so in a sense, what he's trying to do is, is say, look, I, I want you to do this sign. I'm going to have this sign be done through you with your staff to show you that I'm the one who has power over this serpent, Pharaoh. In fact, it's, it's, like, it's like he's saying, listen, God's saying, I'm going to seize the Egyptian king by the tail, the leading superpower of the world, the one who thinks he's the healer. I'm going to seize him by the tail because I'm going to prove that I, I'm actually the one 
who delivers. Look at verse 6. Again, the Lord said to him, put your hand inside your cloak. And Moses puts his hand inside his cloak, and when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. I don't think leprosy like you've seen in all the movies. This could be any kind of skin disease, but it's something obvious. It's something not pretty. It's something that definitely is defiling. Then God said, put your hand back into your cloak, and so he put his hand back inside his cloak, and when he took it, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. God says, if they will not believe you, God said, or listen to the first sign, they may believe the latter sign. So here again, God's given a sign not just to say, look how powerful I am, but to say something about how he's gonna deliver his people. Because here's the thing that we don't understand sometimes, we, we forget this, that his people, the Israelites, were an unclean people. Isaiah had made this clear, didn't he? Isaiah said, behold, I'm a man of unclean lips and I do among a people of unclean lips. Because all of us, all of us, whether we are believers or not, we're unclean. There's something broken, something dirty, defiled about us. And so the sign is God saying to Moses, Moses, listen, I'm not only going to just expose the leprosy of my people, I'm going to heal it. I'm going to be the God who brings healing to my unclean people. Look at verse 9. And if they will not believe even these two signs or listen to your voice, you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it on dry ground, and that water you shall take from the Nile will become blood on dry ground. Now we know this is going to be the first, one of the first signs that he does in judgment towards Egypt, trying to get Pharaoh to let his people go. And in a sense, what, what, what we see God saying through this sign is that God is going to judge those who refuse to believe. Now, I want you not to miss, not get so caught up in the details, because we'll unpack these details as we continue in Exodus, but I don't want you to miss what God's doing here. God is giving signs to confirm Moses' faith. This is God showing a proactive patience. We tend to think of patience, especially God's patience, as kind of like God sits there and he just goes, just stay calm. Don't wipe them out. That God's patience is not doing something bad to us. But the scripture reveals God's patience as proactively pursuing us. I love this. It is Father's Day, so I'm gonna say something good about some of, some of you dads. One of the things that I've been really blessed about seeing some of you dads, some of you young dads, is uh, how patient you are with your kids. My kids would tell you I was not quite that patient. And it's so encouraging to me to see this young generation of, of parents who are really making an effort to be patient with their children. It's beautiful. And it's not just like that, okay, I'm not gonna say anything, I'm gonna stay away from my kids because they drive me nuts, which is tempting for all parents, but a pursuing of your children patiently. This is what God's doing with Moses. He's being patient as he's trying to show Moses, Moses, I'm actually doing something here. So what does Moses do? He makes another excuse. Look at verse 10. The Moses, says to the, the Moses said to the Lord, oh my Lord, I am not eloquent either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and tongue. And, and, I, and then the Lord says to him, uh, who made man's mouth? Wasn't it me? He says, I'm telling you, I want you to go. Now, now this is interesting because we gotta kind of ask ourselves, is Moses' claim legitimate? But did he really maybe have a speech impediment? Was he really just kind of slow to speak? Was he maybe just exaggerating 
how weak he was? Or was it all just in his head? Because remember Stephen's sermon on this in, in Acts chapter 7? We read it, remember we read this a few weeks ago about Moses? It says in Acts chapter 7, Moses was instructed in all the wisdom in, of the Egyptians, and he was mighty in his words and deeds. Hmm. Sounds like Moses might be making a few excuses. But what's interesting is, is what, what God says to him. God says to him, he doesn't say, oh, come on, Moses, I know you're good. You can do it, Mo. He doesn't say that. He says, who made man's mouth? Is it not I? In other words, listen, when Moses is feeling inadequate, whether it's in his head or he's exaggerating or what have you, God doesn't emphasize Moses' perceptions. Hey, you're, you're seeing things wrong. He emphasizes his own power. God doesn't say, hey, here's, you, you know, yes, you're inadequate, or no, you're not inadequate. He says, look, it doesn't even matter. It doesn't even matter if you're inadequate or not. What matters is that I can do this. I love this. This is, again, part of God's patience towards us. You know, we have a similar command. Jesus gave us a similar command when he told his followers that they were going to be persecuted, that people were going to marginalize them and push them to the side. And, and maybe this is, if you're not a Jesus follower, maybe this is one of the things you're kind of concerned with. I don't want to be a freak. You know, I kind of attracted to Jesus, but I want to be a freak. But, but here's what Jesus says. Listen, when he talks about, listen, you are going to feel this, but you're also going to have to be the one who's willing to testify of who I am. And so here's what he says. Do not be anxious. This is what Jesus says. Do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. You know, the body of Christ, God's people, the church, does not need a bunch of eloquent people. It needs a bunch of people who know how good, how able their God is to speak. How able their God is to speak. There was a young man in my youth group back in California. His name was Sam, and Sam had extreme... um, learning difficulties. He had an allergic reaction to medicine and uh, he had some severe brain damage. So he was in our youth group from the time he was about 15 until the time he was about 22. He was a bit too old for that, but he was a simple, sweet guy. And Sam would say odd things. He was was kind of a big guy and he would would say, I'm so fast, Mr. Brown, I could run into a tree. It wouldn't even hurt. Okay, Sam. But when Sam would pray, when you'd ask Sam to pray with you, Oh, was there a power in those prayers? The simple, childlike, it was just, it was, a, it was a glorious thing. And it was a reminder that it had nothing to do with Sam, it had to do with the God who knew Sam as his son. And, and this is the thing, this is part of God's proactive patience with us in calling us to whatever he calls us to do. And just to simply know him and just to simply testify of him, he, he gives us the power to compensate for whatever inadequacies we even think we have. This is what God does for Moses. What else does he do? Look at verse 13. But Moses, again, bless him, like us, tries to throw out another excuse. In fact, it's not even an excuse. Then he just says, oh, Lord, please send someone else. Send someone else. I did this. When God started calling me to come to England to plant churches, I'm like, yeah, I have five small children. Uh, the amount of money the British government tells us we have to have to come here, uh, I don't really even have any desire to go to England. God, are you sure? I, you should, there's a need. You should send someone 
else. And, and a lot of times we just don't want to do the thing that God calls us to do. And I love this because look what happens in verse 13. God sends some, verse 14, sorry. God says, then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. Why was God angry with Moses? Because Moses was unwilling to trust that God could do what he said he could do. Now, I don't, wanna, I don't want you to miss this because we either too much see God as angry or we maybe see God as his anger in, in the way we are angry or we don't see God as angry at all. We, we, and maybe we flip-flop back and forth in these things. So when the Bible talks about God being angry, it is anger. It is, it is like no nostrils flaring, like, oh. It is what we see Jesus do with his disciples. How long do I have to bear with you guys? But the reason we're putting this under the heading of proactively patient is because when we're angry, we say, enough, forget you. Or when we're angry, we just say, you know what, that's it. I'm coming, putting the hammer down. But when God is angry, you know what he does? He shows more patience. In fact, I love, look what happens in verse 14, right? In verse, in verse 14, this anger's there, but then God says, is not Aaron your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he is coming out to meet you, and when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart, and you shall speak to him and put the words uh, in his mouth, and I will be your mouth, and with his mouth, will teach you both what to do. He shall speak to you, uh, speak for you to the people, and you shall be his mouth, and you shall be as God to him. Now what, what God's saying here to, to, to Moses is, Moses, okay, um, I'm gonna give you the word, and because you don't wanna be my prophet, I'm gonna give Aaron the ability to, to then take what I've given you and speak. Aaron will be your prophet, and then you'll be my prophet. I'll give you an extra step. But, but here's the thing that's so amazing about God's patience. God knew Moses was going to do this. He knew Moses was going to go, oh, I don't want to speak. I don't think I can do that. I can't do it. And God's like, oh, okay, Moses, here's the deal. I've already had Aaron on his way here. Isn't this amazing? That, that God, listen, God is providing Aaron to help, even though Aaron's actually not needed. I mean, God doesn't need Aaron, but God, in patience towards Moses, said, okay, Moses, you're feeling this way? Fine, I'm gonna provide Aaron. I love that. I love the fact that this is how God works. And then he says to him in verse 17, and take your hand, take in your hand this staff with which you will do the signs. Now, remember, we heard earlier in verse two, right? God says to, to Moses, what's in your hand? And he says, a staff. This is a shepherd's staff, kind of a, a sturdy piece of wood that probably had a little bit of a crook on the end, maybe a root or something. Maybe we'd use to kind of poke sheep where they're supposed to go or pull them back when they're going too close to the cliff, that kind of stuff. It was just a simple, normal, everyday tool of the shepherd, something that Moses would have been super familiar with. He probably could spit out and finger and all that kind of stuff, you know. He, he, this is, he knew this thing, and God says, I'm gonna use what's familiar to you. Do you see what God's doing? God is giving more grace to overcome Moses' unwillingness. Sometimes some of the songs that, that, that not today, they were, it was great today. 
But some of the times we sing songs that are really about us expressing uh, you know, our love for God or something. There's a song that we don't really sing it here, but we used to sing it in my youth group back in, in the States. And, and uh, it says, uh, I'll let my words be few. Jesus, I'm so in love with you. Have you guys ever sang that song before? It's kind of, yeah, okay. And, and I remember you said not really like that song because that, those, the, first of all, the idea of saying, I'll let my words be few is like, I'm just so humbled. I just, I, I, don't, I dare not say anything. But then to say, oh, but I love you so much, feels a bit disingenuous. And it just didn't fit to me. So I didn't really like that song, if I'm honest. But what's amazing to me is, is that even these songs like that, that you feel like, I don't know if I can say that. You know what? God is able, by his grace, to make me willing and able to love him with all my heart. To sing to him. God gives me the grace to overcome my own unwillingness. That, listen, that is proactive patience. God might be calling you this morning to actually say, I'm going to put my faith in the Jesus of Scripture, in the Jesus of history. I'm going to trust him as God's revelation of himself. I'm going to trust him as the one whose death pays for my sins, whose resurrection guarantees me life. God might be calling, this, calling you to this. And you might go, oh, I don't think I want that. And you know what God does? He keeps pursuing you. That's amazing. This is the God of Scripture. The God that pulls us into faith, pulls us into himself. You guys ever heard of... Uh, Footprints in the sand, that poem, Footprints in the Sand. Why, Lord, is there only one pair of footprints in the sand? Well, that's where I carried you, my son. You know that one? I heard a preacher once say, mine would read skid marks in the sand. Lord, why are these drag marks in the sand? That's where I drugged you into my will because my grace is bigger than your unwillingness. God's this good to pursue us this way. His proactive patience with Moses is also the proactive patience he has on us. And listen, even when it comes to us serving him, as Moses is being called to do, the apostle Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, I worked harder than any of them. He's talking about the other apostles. Though it was not I, but the grace of God that is in me. I really don't want to do this thing that God wants me to do. I don't want to be in Sunday school again this month. Oh, I get that. I really do. This is why I don't volunteer for Sunday school. It's hard. But God can give you the grace to do it. And he gives us that grace because he's so patient with us. So what happens? Moses seems like he's gonna go. So we pick it up in verse 18, and what are we gonna see? We're gonna see now God's sovereign plan for Moses. Not just his proactive patience, but a sovereign plan. Look at verse 18. Moses went back to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, please let me go back to my brothers in Egypt to see whether they are alive. Now, was that God's plan for him? Not completely. But Jethro said to Moses, go in peace. And the Lord said to Moses and Midian, go back to Egypt, for all the men you were, who were seeking your life are dead. And so Moses took his wife and his sons and, and had them ride on a donkey and went back to the land of Egypt. And Moses took the staff of God in his hands. Now I love this because we see here God knowing what Moses really fears. Because so Moses says to Jethro, uh, I kind of, you know, I'm getting older now. I want to see if any of my brethren in Egypt, you know, are still, still around. 
So that's what he says. But what's really going on in his heart? He's afraid if he goes back, the ones that wanted to kill him would still want to kill him. And God addresses not what he communicates, but what he fears. I love this because this is what God does. God, God doesn't deal with what, just what we say. God looks beyond that. The silliest thing we do as Christians, as Jesus followers, is to pray things we don't mean. It's the dumbest thing in the world. As if God's going, oh, wow, I, that's great. It sounds like you really believe. It sounds like you really want me to do this. Okay, I'll, I'll do that. As God can't see right through that, right into our hearts, it's going, do you even care, God? Are you even around God? Do you even want to help me, God? Instead of just praying that, you ever read Psalm 88? I think it's Psalm 88. I hope that's right. It's the psalm of, of lament. And, you know, there are lots of psalms like this, and they'll talk about God, the people will pour out their complaint to God. God, why? And what about this? And how come you're not doing this? But most of those psalms end with saying, but Lord, you're good, and we trust your covenant, and so on. Psalm, I think it's Psalm 88. I hope I got that right. I think it's Psalm 88, because it ends with just like, just negative, like what a horrible thing. And I think, why did God let that stay in his word? Because listen, we need to be honest with God because here's the reality. Even when we're scared to death, even when we feel like I don't really want to do what God wants me to do, God knows that. And the more honest we are with him about that, the more help we get from him to deal with that. And I also want you to notice in verse 20 that Moses took, what's it called now? The staff of God. This normal everyday staff is now being identified by Moses as the staff of God. Why? Because Moses is learning to trust the God who changes, who transforms the ordinary into extraordinary. That's what he's learning to do. God could do this. Now look at verse 21. And the Lord said to Moses, when you go back to Egypt, see that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles that I have put into your power, but I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son, and, you shall, and I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me, and if you refuse to let him go, I will kill your firstborn son. There's some heavy things in there. I'm gonna harden his heart, God says about Pharaoh. Israel's my firstborn son, what does that even mean? I'm gonna kill your firstborn son? Ooh, that's pretty heavy. And we're not gonna talk about any of those things today because they're gonna be unpacked in future, some soon to come weeks, Okay. Because I, what I really want us to see is, is what God's doing here with Moses. And God wanting to sort of make it clear what his sovereign plan is for Moses. He highlights what the plans are. He, he just kind of lays out kind of a, here, here's some things you already know, here's some things I'm gonna do in the future. Kind of just an outline of his plan. The details are gonna come, but I want you to know both the, what your destiny is and what your directions are. And this is important for us. Because sometimes as Jesus followers, we want to know, God, what's your will for my life? What are you doing in my life? And we want some details. And God's going, okay, before you get details, know what my will is for all my people. Listen to this. Romans chapter 8, 20, 29 says this. This is the destiny of all Jesus followers. It's this. God's going to make us all like Jesus. He writes, Paul writes, for those whom God foreknew, he also predestined destiny to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Do you realize, Christian, do you realize 
that God looks at you the way he looks at Jesus, that he loves you because he loves Jesus, that he accepts you because he accepts Jesus, and he's going to grow you into that image. So even when we're feeling like maybe Moses is feeling, I don't want to go to Egypt, I don't want this stuff, he still sees you like this. Now listen, listen. And he says, I'm going to grow you into that. That is your destiny. I've said it before, and I will say it again. I really thought I'd be farther along after walking with Jesus for 35 years. I thought I'd be way more mature than I am. But you know what? Praise God, I'm not what I used to be. And praise God, I'm not what I'm going to be. God's going to finish the work that he started with us. That is your destiny. So, so whatever the details are about what God's plan is for your life, all of it is to lead to that. Whatever calling God puts in your life ministerially, whoever God calls you to be married to or calls you, if he calls you to be single, whatever status you have in life, rich, poor, successful, not so successful, whatever ministry he gives you to his people, all of it, the good and the bad, is to lead you to this place to make you like Jesus. Because God makes us like Jesus so that we can enjoy him the way Jesus enjoyed the Father. Isn't that glorious? That's your destiny, man. So I don't know how bad it is for you today. I don't know how bad your relationships are. I don't know how bad your, your job is your, or, or the fact that you can't find a job. I don't, know, I don't know what your status is necessarily. But here's what I know. If you believe in Jesus, if you're a Jesus follower, your destiny is to be made like him. Isn't that good news? But also, here's the directions. Listen to this, also book of Romans. Here's a direction for all Jesus followers. That is to worship in our own lives. Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. The mercies of God there refer to all that he said about the gospel in the first 11 chapters of Romans. I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercy of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. When he says bodies there, he doesn't just mean your physical bodies. He means your whole being. And the idea is you've been bought at a price. Christ paid for you. And so the right response, the reasonable response, the direction of your life is, God, I'm yours. I'm yours for every single one of us. Listen, going back to Exodus, do you understand this is what God's doing with Moses? God's saying, Moses, here's what's going to happen. I know what I'm going to do with my people, and you're one of them. I know how I'm going to use you. But what you need to know is what your destiny is and what your direction is. You need to know this is what I want to do for all my people. The details will come in time. Lastly, God brings a gracious provision for Moses. Look at verse 24. It's going to get weird. Here it goes, verse 24. At a lodging place on the way, the Lord met him and sought to put him to death. Then Sipporah, that's his wife, took a flint and cut off her son's foreskin and touched Moses' feet with it and said, surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me. So, so he, that's God, let him alone. And it was, it was then that she said, a, blind, a bridegroom of blood because of the circumcision. What is going on? What a weird thing to happen. Kind of gross, kind of nasty, kind of weird. And you have to know something, okay? I just want to be completely honest. There's much that we just don't know what's going on. 
There is. Even the Hebrew language, I don't know Hebrew, but looking at scholars who do know Hebrew, the Hebrew language supposedly is very hard to sort of interpret. It's tricky. So there's a lot we can't know about this, but what we can know is that this has to do with Moses somehow neglecting to circumcise his son, which was a sign of God's covenant with his people. So we can know, listen, from this section, we can know that God takes it seriously when we don't take his covenant seriously. This is what we would have read back in Genesis chapter 17. God says to Abraham, this is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. That would include Moses. Every male among you shall be circumcised. Now we know Moses, we, well, we presume Moses was circumcised because remember when Pharaoh's daughter finds him, she opens up and goes, oh, a Hebrew child. How did she know that? Well, there was evidence. God says to Abraham, so shall my covenant be in your flesh, an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. Those are pretty strong words. And we don't know why Moses didn't have his son circumcised. Maybe he was trying to gain favor with his father-in-law, Midian, because we know the Midianites, we know from archaeology and history, the Midianites didn't circumcise their sons until right before they got married, which seems, seems really inconvenient to me. But that's what they did. And so maybe it was like he was going, well, I'll just kind of be culturally sensitive here. But either way, what we see happening here is God has graciously provided for Moses because God says, you don't keep my covenant, that's it. You're cut off. There's only one way for you to be right with me. It's through the covenant I make with you. You don't keep it, you're cut off. And who comes to the rescue? His wife rebuking him. This is God's gracious provision. And all the wives said, not too zealously, well done. <laughs> but, but this is the thing that we sometimes don't see as God's grace to us. God's gracious provision to us is sometimes when we get told off. One of the reasons I love Adam as a, a, a trustee is that we'll be talking about things and I'll be throwing out ideas. Hey, we could do this and do that. What about this? And Adam will just go, no, bro, no, no. We should do this. Just straight. Now, sometimes I feel a little bit stupid. But I'm so appreciative that he keeps me from making a bunch of different ideas that probably aren't a good idea. I'm thankful for, for having a wife who rarely does tell me off. So therefore, when she does tell me off, I think, ooh, you better listen to what's going on. You better listen. I'm thankful for brothers in my life who are willing to call me out where I fall short. This is part of God's grace to us, is the rebuke of brothers and sisters. You know, this, this whole idea of taking a covenant seriously, especially, especially, listen, especially when we are wandering from the gospel, especially then. There's a New Testament kind of fulfillment of this, you might say, or, or a, a clarity on this in Hebrews chapter 10. I'm reading from the New Living Translation, but here's what it says. Anyone who refused to obey the law of Moses was put to death without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. That's how strict Moses' law was. But look what the author says. Just think how much worse the punishment will be for those who have trampled on the Son of God and have treated the blood of the covenant which has made us holy as if it were common and unholy. 
and have insulted and disdained the Holy Spirit who brings God's mercy to us. Please don't make the mistake of thinking, oh yeah, God of the Old Testament, he was really grumpy. He didn't like it when people didn't keep his covenant. God of the New Testament, he's nice and sweet. No, no, this is the God of the New Testament. That if, if we listen, if the only way we can be made right with God, if the only thing that cleanses our, our, our way our sins, the things we've done against others and against God, the things that we've neglected to do that were good, those sins, if the only thing that washes away is the blood of Christ and we take it lightly, you think God's going to get angry about that? Listen, if I'm making you uncomfortable, I, I, I partially apologize. And I say partially because I, I don't want to just make you uncomfortable. But I do want you to know this rebuke, if you're doing this, if you're trampling, under, trampling God's son under your feet, if you're taking lightly the, the sacrifice that God provided for us to be right with him forever, God is not pleased with that. He will not let that go. It is as arrogant and as foolish as the drowning man saying, nah, I got this, I'm gonna swim to shore myself. That makes God angry. Consider this a rebuke. Because God wants you to know him. He's provided a covenant that's based completely on his faithfulness so you can be right with him. Take the rebuke. It's God's precious, uh, precious provision as Moses' wife's rebuke was for him. Verse 27, what else does God graciously provide? And the Lord said to Aaron, go into the wilderness and to meet Moses. Now this is kind of a flashback probably. God had probably told this to, spoken this to Aaron way before he had a conversation with Moses. And he says, go, go into the wilderness to meet Moses. So he went and met him at the mountain of God and kissed him. Now, we wouldn't see it in English, but the word for meet there is a word that means to, to forcefully, directly encounter. It can be sometimes used as like you ran into something, like literally, boom. It's like in the positive, it's, it means like a big bear hug. And I picture these two older guys, Aaron's even older than Moses, seeing each other for the first time in years. I mean, Aaron probably saw Moses from a distance when he was growing up in Pharaoh's house, but this is the first time they've embraced in almost 80 years, and what do they do? Oh, bear hug. They just, they just grab each other. They hold tight. These are brothers who wanted to be together. In verse 28, it says that, that Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord which he had sent him to speak and all the signs that, that had been commanded him, he had commanded him to do. Do you see what's happening here? They, they embrace, they want to be together, but what's happening? They're framing their relationship, obviously because God's called them to do this. They're framing their relationship around the word of God. What has God said? What's our calling? What's our calling? In the verse 29 and 30, it says, Then Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the people of Israel, and Aaron spoke all the words of the Lord he had spoken to Moses, and he did the signs in the sight of the people. So what are they doing? They're actually working together to do God's will. Now, there's some important things here to the whole storyline, again, that we're going to unpack as we keep going in Exodus. But I don't want to miss what this tells us about how God 
calls us. See, God, part of his calling is this gracious provision, the rebukes that we need, but also the presence of other brothers and sisters. Do you want your brethren the way Moses wanted Aaron? Do we greet this way? I don't know, all of us like hugs. I get that. I'm, I'm a very touchy-feely guy, but most of you guys, a lot of you people are. I get it. I get it. <laughs> the first time I, I when I first uh, came to England, I remember going to the church in London, and, you know, we hugged everybody in our church in America. And so I'd go up, and I'm like, oh, so good to meet you. And people are like, oh, okay, yes, we're hugging. Oh, okay, see. <laughs> they were so awkward. And I realized, okay, you need to kind of wait until, you know, who wants the hug and who doesn't. So I'm not talking about just hugging, but I'm talking about wanting the relationship, knowing you need the presence of your brethren because this is God's provision for you. This is part of his call in your life. Are we framing our relationships around God's word? If you didn't hear this series or if you missed any of them, go back and listen to the one another series about this. Lastly, verse 31, we're just about done. It says, and the people believed and when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel and that he had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and they worshiped. I love this. What did God say to Moses? Back in chapter three, I'm gonna send you, my people will listen to you. What did Moses say? They're not gonna listen to me, Lord. God says, listen, I'm gonna provide signs, I'm gonna make sure this, this comes to pass. And even if they don't believe, I'll make sure that, that, that there's still enough for them that they should believe. So finally, Moses reluctantly heeds the call of God, and when he, when he heeds the call of God with his brother Aaron, what happens? The people actually believed. And I love what it says here, too. I love, I love this idea that, that they believed in worship because they were provoked by God's compassion. God actually saw our pain. He actually knows what we're going through. He actually hears our prayers. I love this. See, God did more than Moses expected. But isn't that the same for us? God calls us to trust him, to follow him, to pray to him. You know why? Because listen to this. Ephesians 3, verse 20 says, Now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than what we might ask or think. God is calling us to himself. He is calling us to live this life with a direction that says, I want my whole life to be his. With a destiny that says, I'm gonna one day be made like Jesus. He calls us to do that together and he calls us because guess what? He can do more than we can imagine. We think, yeah, but I've been at church for decades and these people are still so screwed up. Or I thought I'd be more mature by now. Or whatever is our excuse, the way Moses made an excuse, God is still calling us to himself and calling us together. You know that's what church means? The word church, ecclesia, is the gathered ones. We come together, which is why Zoom just ain't enough. We need more. So, God's calling. As he called Moses and his people out of Egypt, he's calling us out. He's calling us to himself. He's calling us together. Are you responding? Israel blew it. They did. Bless them. They failed in a big way. But you know, I, I really believe that the scripture teaches that God still has a plan for Israel. 
In fact, here's what we read in, in Romans chapter 11. Many of the people of Israel are now enemies of the good news, yet they are still the people God loves because he chose their ancestors, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, for the gifts, God's gifts and his call can never be withdrawn. You've been invited to the party, so come. Father, I pray you would help us to respond to your calling, both personally to you, corporately toward one another, and ministerially to however you want us to serve. Lord, we say here we are, we're yours. I pray for anyone here who doesn't know you yet, Lord, that they would ask the questions that are plaguing them. They would bring forth the things that, that, that they feel like just keep them from believing, Lord. And, and that, Lord, you give us the grace to give them the answer. Lord, meet us here as we continue the fellowship. Bless us for us this week, we pray in Jesus' name. Everyone who agrees says amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Stick around, have some more tea and coffee. We'll see you soon.